0: John chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 15. Um, I'll explain more about this in a little bit, but this is, um, Jesus is sort of entering into the last week-ish or so leading up to the cross. Uh, So this is one of the last opportunities that Jesus gets to be with his disciples uh, in the way that he has been for about three years. Uh, And so he's sort of told them that something's happening, something's coming. I'm going to go somewhere, he says. And And you can tell that they feel, they're already beginning to feel like separation anxiety. They're like, what do we do now? What's next? Uh, And so he begins by comforting them. He's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In my father's house, there are many rooms. If that weren't so, I wouldn't have told you that. I'm going to go there and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you uh, to be with me. Everything is going to be okay. Don't be afraid. And now we pick it up right here. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord... Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not, and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Again, lots going on there. Um, a few years ago, there's this... A guy named uh, Kevin Starr, who sort of made a, a, a little bit of a splash in the corporate world when he published his ideas on, on corporate mission statements in the Harvard Business uh, Review. Uh, he'd been studying this and interested in it and looking into these things and noticed that corporations had mission statements that were just way too long. Like, they had too many words, uh, words that were muddled. Um, they were just super confuse, confusing. Confusing. Uh, He said that when he looked at most corporate mission statements, they, uh, they had way too much gobbledygook in them. That was the word he used while being interviewed by the Harvard Business Review, gobbledygook. What a great word, as an aside. That's a great word, gobbledygook. Like, that just sounds like something you don't want. Like, if that was a food, if someone served you gobbledygook, would you eat it? No, it's not something you want. But well, he said, too many corporations have too many mission, have mission statements that are just filled with too much gobbledygook. I love it. He said, he said that statements like those uh, are too easily forgotten, are most likely to be forgotten by both employees and consumers. In reality, they make no difference. They're basically worthless. So, he spends all his time hammering on corporate mission statements, but then he actually offers a solution. He said that corporate mission statements should be no longer than eight words. Like, that's the maximum. Eight words. That's it. And he gave no rationale. In fact, he didn't even talk about the method he, came, he, he used to come up with eight words. He just said, eh, sounds about right. So, eight-word mission statements. And then he also said they have to have a certain sequence. They have to have a verb, they have to have a target, and they have to have an outcome, a desired outcome. So verb, target, outcome. Make sense? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a couple of corporate mission statements. Uh, I'm going to have you guess what corporation they come from, because that's just fun. And then we're going to decide together whether or not it, it goes by these guidelines. And I promise you this has a point. Might not be clear yet. Here's the first one. It goes like this. This is a mission statement. We make, and then it's the corporation's name, we make blank our guests' preferred shopping destination by delivering outstanding value, continuous innovation, and exceptional guest experience, consistently fulfilling our expect more, pay less brand promise. Huh. So who does that belong to? What? Walmart? I heard Walmart. I heard Payless. Coles. Target. You're the winner. Who said Target? Somebody said Target. Target. Okay, can any, any of you repeat back to me the mission statement for Target? I, I didn't count the words because that's a waste of my time. It's way more than eight words. Too much gobbledygook. Continuous innovation, exceptional, great experience. Blah, blah, Just stick with <laughs> ex- stick with expect more, pay less. Like done. Like all the rest of that, trim it. Right? So target. So, okay, here's the second one. Here's here's the mission statement. To save people money so they can live better. Any guesses? Walmart. Walmart. To save to save people money so they can live better. All so close. Nine. That's a good one though, right? Can you remember that? Anybody repeat it for me? Boom! Preaching the gospel of Walmart. (laughs) Right there. You all got it, right? It's memorable. Nine words. I'd say that counts. Right? That's good. There's not much gobbledygook there. In fact, there's none. No gobbledygook. So, Walmart wins. What about Jesus? I just went... From Walmart's mission statement to Jesus. Hmm. Did he have a mission statement? Well, kind of. Um, but if you read, if you read John's story about Jesus, it goes on for four chapters. It's just way too long. He just keeps talking and talking and talking. So here's what we have going on here. And I sort of teased it a little bit ago. Uh, this is the part of John's story about Jesus that, that's known as the the scholars call the farewell discourses which means that we're nearing the end. So This is like the the last 7ish chapters of John deal with the last weekish <laughs> of Jesus's life leading up to his death and then eventual resu- resurrection. So Jesus has warned them that that stuff is coming, but they're not they're not getting it. And now the cross, he's having this conversation with them and the cross is the next night. So for Jesus, like, this is it, man. And, and he knows it. So he and his disciples are reclining at a table and they're eating their last supper together. So this is the time for summing up. This is the time for final words. This is the time for clarity. This is the time for Jesus to give his followers their purpose, their mission, like, Let's make it clear. And he goes on for four chapters. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus needed any help, like, giving his followers their mission. Like, I think he probably did as good a job as he wanted. Like, it's up to him, right? Uh, What I am saying is he didn't follow Kevin Starr's rules. No, short, way more than eight words, chapters. So, maybe we can help. Let's help Jesus out. <laughs> uh, how pretentious. Um, let's see if we can distill his, his message into, into a mission statement that's somewhere along the lines of eight-ish words. Um, sound good? Okay. Actually, I've already done it, so you'll just come along for the ride. Um, unless you want to help, that's cool. You can change it as we move along. I'm open to that. So let's see if we can sort of scale it down. Um, Verse 15, if you love me, you will do what I command. I counted, that's 10 words. That's two more than eight. It's a good start, um, but it's too long. It's got some good ideas in there. If you love me, you will do what I command. So let's keep going, see if we can pull something else out. Let's keep reading. If you love me, you will obey what I command. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or advocate, we'll talk about that later, who will be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Okay, here's the deal. If you read that, those two-ish sentences right there, um, and then you read all the way through the rest of chapter 17, in other words, you sort of read all the way through all of the farewell discourses, I think you would find that what we just read there kind of sums it up pretty well. And then Jesus sort of goes off and expands what it is. what are the implications of that? What does it look like? And he gives them more detail. So let's take those few verses and let's kind of condense them even further because there's too many words, too much gobbledygook. So, if you love me, you will obey what I command. The Spirit is coming. Not bad. That's 13. Can we narrow it down even more? Yes, we can. Love Jesus. Keep his commands. Welcome the Spirit. That's eight. Love Jesus. Keep his commands. Obey his commands. Welcome the Spirit. Boom. Eight words. You're welcome, Jesus. Anytime you need any other help, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> like it's almost as if Jesus gives them the mission right up front, the purpose right up front, in a little more than eight words, and then he sort of spends the rest of his time talking about what it is that means and sort of fleshing out the implications of it. But if that's theirs, if that's their mission, then it ought to be connected to us to love Jesus keep his commands, welcome the spirit. So, so in a sense, our mission together as a community is to create the kind of community that loves Jesus, that obeys his commands, that does what Jesus does, that welcomes the spirit in order to be moved by the spirit. So now it's my turn to unpack what that means and spend four chapters talking about what it looks like. You know, love Jesus, of Jesus. Oh my goodness, what a big concept. We could probably take the rest of our time talking about just that, and then we could take some more time talking about more of that. So here's one little angle on that. Uh, and the author, Anne Lamont, she sort of helps me out here. Have you heard of Anne Lamont? Anybody? She, she's written lots of really good books. Um, one of them is called Traveling Mercy, Some Thoughts on Faith. Um, and I commend that book to you if you're interested in it. But in it, she talks about how she was a, a 30-year-old intellectual agnostic uh, who wanted to have nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, she talks about her life. Uh, she talks about how she became pregnant by a, by a married man. Uh, then she had an abortion, and then she fell into the deepest depression that she had ever experienced, at least uh, not since her, her father Uh, had died. So what did she do in response to that? Like, she's as low as she feels like she can be, and so she goes even lower. She turns to drink, and she turns to pills in order to to dull the pain. So she's as low. She's rock bottom, to use that cliche, you know. Then she describes this. One night, she was lying in the darkness. She became aware of a presence in the room with her, hunkered down in the corner, in the corner of her sleeping loft. She's alone. She becomes aware of the presence. She says this. I felt him sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, just watching me with patience and love. That's it. I felt him just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft, just watching me with patience and love. She's in the darkest place she could be because of the things that she had done And there's Jesus, just watching, waiting with patience and love. And then she goes on, and she talks about how she felt like Jesus was then following her around wherever she went for the next few days, like a little cat. Who would not leave her alone. And finally, she took a deep breath after a few days, and she said, to Jesus, who's now a little cat. All right, you can come in. All right. You can come in. And then looking back on that experience, she says this, I was dying and I got a second chance. I do believe I was saved. Friends, we love Jesus because He first loved us. A little later on, he sort of expands this idea. If you love me, he says this. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Jesus is just sitting there on his haunches in the corner of the room of our lives watching us with patience. And love. No matter what it is you've done, no matter the mess of things, no matter the condition you find yourself in now, today, here, is just waiting, watching with patience and love, waiting to be noticed, waiting to be recognized, waiting for you to just receive it and then offer it back to Him. For some of us, he's been waiting for a really, really long time. Just waiting with patience and love. Recognize that he's here. Recognize that he's... For some of us, we've known that he's been here. It's just been a really long time since we've intentionally recognized his presence. Acknowledged it. Recognize that he's here. Say to him right now, all right. All right. You can come in. We love Jesus because he first loved us. Love Jesus. Offer him yourself. Open your soul. Open your spirit, your person, and say, all right, Come on in. Here's the second part of that little eight-word mission statement. Keep his commands. Keep his commands. That's what we think of when we think of commands. You keep his commands. We think of the Ten Commandments. Right? Do what he says. Keep his commands. Here's what I think it means. I think it means we all work really hard to to achieve a state of moral perfection. I think we go back to Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount. And I think we create like this checklist of moral imperatives uh, with boxes and everything so that we can sort of keep ourselves accountable to these moral imperatives. So that we can keep each other in check And so that we can then keep the world in check and make sure that everybody behaves the way that they're supposed to behave. We kind of sort of police ourselves, police our community, and then we can make sure that that the world has to abide by these these moral imperatives that Jesus set up. If I had a sarcasm font, I would be using it. (laughs) But that's what we think when we think of this word command. Think of, we start... We get all rigid, and we want to make religion about that. Don't we? Is that what Jesus meant? Is that what he was talking about? No, in fact, we know that it's not what he's talking about. Because if we read on a little bit more, then we know that he gives us exactly what it is, what he means, when he says, obey my commands. Right? Because in, in chapter 15, he says this. Um, my command is this. So there's a list, but it's not long. One, this is my command. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. And then a little later on, he says it again, just to make sure. He repeats it so that we're not confused, so that when we're tempted to make a a checklist, to make sure that we're, we're doing the right things and we're sort of checking the right boxes uh, so that when we're tempted to create a checklist to make sure that, that we can tell who's in and who's not and who's on our side and who's not on our side and who's on our team and whatnot, so that he repeats it so that when we're tempted to go to that place, we can remind ourselves, no, Jesus said, this is my command, love each other, love. That's his command, that's it, that's the one, love. Love each other. Friends, we love each other by showing up. Oh my goodness. Again, we could talk forever about all of the ways in which we love each other, right? He said, The world will know that you belong to me by your love. I love that. How do we love each other? We love each other by showing up here week after week after week, every Sunday. By having love be the the thing that defines us when it is we gather here. We love each other by greeting people at the door, right? We love when strangers walk in or when we have guests walk through these doors and we make sure that, oh my goodness, I can walk here and feel like I belong here. We love each other by making coffee, (laughs) by bringing munchies and snacks, by taking out the trash we love each other by serving in nursery by serving with renewed kids by serving kids on Wednesday night by leading music up front by running the sound we love each other by showing up to our pod we love each other by any number of different ways we love each other by serving one another the way that Jesus served right a little later on he says this greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends So it's not a feeling, it's not emotion, it's stuff that we do. It's serving one another after the example that Jesus set. Again, we could sit here and talk for a really long time about all of the ways in which we love one another. It doesn't just have to happen on a Sunday morning. It happens all the time. So love Jesus, keep his commands. His command is love one another. One more part, welcome the Spirit. He says, I'll ask the father, he'll give you another counselor. Sometimes that's translated as advocate, right? To be with you forever. He's talking about the spirit, right? That word counselor comes from the Greek word, uh, parakletos. Sometimes you hear it it pronounced like this, the paraclete. You ever heard of the paraclete? Anyone? Paraclete. Few of us. Paraclete. When you hear that word paraclete, paraclete, It's just the fancy way of saying it's Jesus' image for the Spirit of God, the one who will be with us forever, the paraclete. The idea behind it, it means this, the one who exhorts, the one who comforts, the one who helps, the one who encourages, the one who runs alongside of you all the time, every day, wherever you are, whenever you are there. Exhorts, comforts, helps, encourages, runs alongside. Right now we have three boys playing baseball. Yeah, one of the best part of being a parent, uh, aside from the crazy schedule, which is awesome. uh, No, that's hard. Anyway, one of the best parts of being a parent of baseball players is that all the parents get to sit right around the the backstop, like the plate is right there. Like they go to bat like 15, 20 feet away from us. And you know what parents get to do? Whenever one of our boys gets up to to, to the plate, you know what we get to be? little paracletes, like a chorus of paracletes. You can do it. You got this. You got ducks on the pond. Hit them in. Keep your head in there. Keep your weight back. It's okay. And then when they strike out, what do we do? We clap. Good job. Good try. Way to work hard. We're paracletes. We say, you can do this. You got this. And even when they fail, even when they strike out, we clap. We encourage. And you can feel the strength of community. You can feel the strength of people. You can feel the strength of that group of just, you can feel it just transferring to the boys as they play. It is so awesome. Friends, to those of us who are struggling, with things like depression and anxiety and other things like that, hear the Spirit, the Paraclete, saying to you this morning, it's okay. Everything's going to be okay. You got this. You can do it. I'm right here with you all the time. I've never left you. And in fact, you got a whole group of people around you right now ready to love you through this. To those of us who are enduring awkward, painful, frustrating times with family, hear the Spirit saying to you, it's okay. You can do it. I got you. I'm right here. Everything's going to be okay. You're surrounded by a whole community of people who are, ready to, who are ready to love you through this. Lean into them, to those of you who are frustrated with sickness or chronic pain or other physical things. Hear the Spirit say to you right now, it's okay. You can do this. I know it's hard, but I'm with you. You got a whole community of people around you who will love you. Through it to those who are wandering, to those who are fearful of the future, to those who are confused, to those who feel like I don't have any faith left inside of me, hear the Spirit saying to you, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm with you. You can do it. My strength, it's your strength. The strength of the community, it's your strength. Lean into them. They'll love you through. Friends, welcome the spirit, the paraclete, the one who runs alongside, the one who exhorts, the one who encourages, the one who helps, the one who gives strength. Welcome the spirit. Of course, the spirit doesn't leave us there either. Because the spirit is the one who helps, who pushes, who exhorts, who pushes us outside of the walls of this building so that we can become paracletes for the world. If you read the book of Acts, Jesus says, look, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Spirit. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the paraclete comes not just to comfort, not just to advocate, but to exhort, to push outside to help us to, to become paracletes for the world, the people who do, do those things for the people in our lives at home, at work, at play. It's one of the reasons why we talk so much about serving our community and connecting with people who are already doing amazing things like the people at Micah. It's why we're, it's why we're gonna do this rummage sale. It's not for us. Sure, it's gonna feel great to get rid of a bunch of stuff, but then we're just gonna bless them because that's who we are. That's who we want to be right? Just welcome the spirit. Be ready to move. Love Jesus. Obey. Keep his command. Love. Welcome the spirit. Oh, so good. So that's kind of it. That's Jesus's eight word little mission. So let me ask you this. Anybody know what our mission statement is? If you don't, that's my fault. Anyone wanna yeah? You wanna try it? No, that's okay. I'll give it to you. We talk a lot about up in and out. Right? Which is how we live it out. We would call that vision. Mission would be would be this. You'll recognize it. Following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. Oh it's so good. I mean, Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. So close. Nine. It counts. We'll go with it. Yeah? Following Jesus, we follow the one that we love. Right? Because he first loved us. To renew lives, we knew one another li- one another lives by loving one another, right? And then we welcome the spirit pushes us out to renew the world. I'd say that's pretty good. Wouldn't you? I like it. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for your presence. Thank you for the ways in which you speak to us. And God, we ask that, that we would recognize you in our lives, your your presence. Um, that we would offer ourselves to you once again here this morning, that, that we would practice self-sacrificing love for one another and that we would welcome your spirit, uh, which comforts us and also makes us uncomfortable because you want us to go and, and be out there in the community and be a part of what you're up to in the world, making all things new again. Uh, so thank you, God. Um, do whatever it is you need to do in us to make us the kind of people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.